welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. For those of you that are new to the podcast, hello, hi, I'm Grace, I'm a nutritional therapist and I'm a new mum. Hence, this is the first episode I've released in a while because time is limited these days with a nearly nine month old in tow. But today I'm chatting to one of my great friends and colleagues, Natasha Evans. Tash is a nutritional therapist specializing in fertility and gut health. And this episode focuses on the relationship between the two, i.e. how all of our different microbiome systems in our bodies influence our fertility outcomes. It's a really fascinating listen. Tash has also just launched her Fertility 360 method, nine steps to nine months, which she tells us about in this episode. I highly recommend working with Tash if you're trying to conceive or if you want to work on your gut health, or ideally, because they're so connected, both. You can find Tash on Instagram at nenutrition or get in touch via her website, nenutrition.co.uk. Okay, on with the episode. Tash and welcome to the podcast. It is wonderful to see you today. We've had some technical difficulties up till now, um, but fingers crossed we are here for the long haul. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Grace. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A bit flustered. Uh, It's my first foray (laughs) back into you know, working life. Um, But really excited to chat to you today. And we are going to be talking about the role of the gut microbiome in fertility. Um, You and I met because we both had this fascination um, with the area of, you know, nutrition, nutritional therapy, infertility. It's such a rewarding, complex, difficult area of nutritional therapy, but one that's becoming so crucial as we go through this crisis, I guess, in infertility. You know, so many of us are struggling to conceive. Um, So that's how we met. We both studied with Sandra, who's a previous guest on the podcast. But today we're going to be a little bit more specific with our chat around fertility. And you're going to talk to us about why the gut in particular has such an important role. And this is going to be fascinating for listeners because this is not something that we think about with regards to fertility, is it? No. And it's crucial, absolutely crucial to fertility. Um, And I guess there are two different elements to it. So firstly, there's the digestive system. And secondly, there's the gut health and the microbiome in general. So why did this become... Tell us a little bit about you to begin with, Tash. I mean, we know you're a nutritional therapist, but why has this area in particular really piqued your interest? Well, so when I first graduated in um, from the Institute of Optimum Nutrition, I went straight into gut health. And that's because it was something I was very familiar with. So I had IBS for 10 years, irritable bowel syndrome. And for anyone who's had it themselves, not only is it just annoying, but also, you know, it really can impact your quality of life. And then all these other symptoms start cropping up that you don't realise necessarily are related to your digestion, but, you know, worse mental health, poor skin, poor energy levels. Um, And until I studied nutrition, I had no idea that all these things were linked. So it was natural for me to move into digestion, IBS, gut health straight after straight after qualifying. And it's an area I find so interesting as well, especially because of the explosion of research in the gut microbiome over the past couple of decades. Uh, And all the amazing work by people like Tim Spector, his books really inspired me whilst I was studying. So that's what I moved into. But then 
as I was working with these people, I think you tend to attract people of a similar age group to you, you know, maybe around, you know, 15 years around um, either, uh, maybe sort of like a 15 year age range, I'd say. Um, and what I was finding is that I was attracting lots of people who were wanting to get pregnant as well, but they were also having these, these, these digestive issues. They were coming to me for these digestive issues, but they knew they wanted to start trying to conceive or they were already starting to try to conceive and having issues. And I thought, this is such an interesting area. And I loved studying fertility at school as well. I thought it was a really interesting area and think something I might be interested in going, in going into in the future. And then I think, you know, sometimes your niche chooses you. And I found fertility really, really interesting, really rewarding, but so challenging. And I knew that to be confident in it, I had to do another, uh, you know, do some more studying and become a real specialist in this. And that's why I enrolled on the extra year's worth of fertility nutrition training with you. And um, so, yeah, now I'm a fertility nutritionist, but with a special interest in gut health and the links Gut, um, and the role gut health plays in fertility. So I do seem to attract clients who have digestive issues and they're wanting to conceive. And yeah, that's how I've ended up with this hyper niche, I guess. I think that's fantastic. And it's probably, you know, it means you can still see clients that just want to work on their gut health and it means you can see clients that just want to work on their fertility. But what I would probably say is that, Yes, you would have clients coming to you just to work on gut health, but you probably don't have anyone that's coming to you that's trying to conceive that doesn't also have some sort of gut issue going on, right? Because we know how central the gut is to pretty much every system within the body, you know, the connections and the interplays that that go on there. And it makes so much sense that you know, if we're trying to conceive, we've, we've got to have everything working. Everything's got to be in line. And yes, some of us get lucky and, you know, you might have relatively ill health and still manage to, to get pregnant. But what we're seeing increasingly is that just that's not the case. It's becoming harder and harder. And we really need to focus down on the lifestyle, the diet, the nutrition, perhaps getting some testing done, looking at the male partner, because let's not forget about him. So, Talk us through the interplay then, you know, what's going on there when we when we think about the gut microbiome and also our fertility outcomes? Yeah, sure. So we are more microbe than we are human. We've got more microbial cells in our body than human cells and about a thousand times more microbial genes than human genes. So, of course, we have to look after these communities because they are—they literally make up, well, they basically make up more, more of us than human cells and human genes. So the vast majority of these, and the, these microorganisms could include things like bacteria, viruses, viruses, fungi, parasites, things that sound quite scary, but actually the vast majority of them are beneficial and they're doing good things for our body. And loads of them live in our gut microbiome. And that's because the conditions are absolutely perfect for bacteria to thrive. So it's dark, it's moist, it's literally fed food directly from the top of the digestive tract. Perfect conditions for bacteria to thrive. So you've got loads of microorganisms in there, trillions of microorganisms in there. And you know, we provide it with a home, we provide it with food, we provide it with shelter, and they do things for us in return. So some of the things they do, for example, is they metabolize our hormones. They really regulate our hormone levels, including estrogen. They play a huge role in that. There's, in fact, a whole collection of microorganisms in there called the, referred to as the estrabolome. And their, their role is in, is in regulating estrogen in the body. They play a part in our blood sugar regulation. So you can be doing all these things to try and improve your 
blood sugar management. But if you're not fo- also focusing on the gut microbiome, there might be only so far you can get. They play a big part in our levels of inflammation, our immune system. 70% of our immune cells lie in our guts. They play a big role in our mood, which we know, you know, things like our stress levels and our mental health are so important in the fertility picture. Um, And our gut is always communicating with our brain by the gut-brain axis. And 90% of serotonin is made in the gut. Serotonin, our happy hormone. Um, You think it'd be made in the brain because that's where um, antidepressants tend to target, but actually it's made in the gut plays a big part in our body weight, which of course is another really important thing for fertility. Our gut even influences our food cravings and our food preferences, which is wild. So sometimes the cravings you might be having today, you think, again, it's your brain wanting to seek out these things. But actually, often it's your gut microbes sending signals to the brain saying, I want more of this food because it's my favourite food. Um, And of course, they do things related to the digestion as well. So things like more nutrient extraction, anything that's undigested and it's made its way through to the large intestine, they'll continue to extract more nutrients from our food, which are then carried to all the to our cells, our organs, our muscles in the body and used for different processes. So the impact of our gut microbiome is so far reaching. And this is why it has an impact on our fertility, because Fertility is a proxy of our health, you know, during our reproductive years. Optimizing our health is optimizing our fertility and our gut microbiome plays a significant role in our in our health. And that's why it's a key area that we need to work on for fertility. So with that in mind, we can see why looking at something like your AMH levels, um, anti-malaria and hormone, it's used as a sort of marker of how many eggs, you know, your egg reserve is so reductionist, right? Because you might think if you're a woman in your mid 30s, mm. uh, oh, I'll just go and check my AMH. Um, yeah, came back fine, got loads of eggs left. No problem. I'll leave it a few more years kind of thing is, yeah is reductionist because we're looking at one 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 tiny uh-huh. thing we're not even thinking about egg quality and as you've explained there are so many other factors at play when we're looking at fertility and i think explaining it as fertility is a proxy for just health generally is so fantastic and so enlightening because it really makes you understand that as with everything in in nutrition you can't just look at one thing can you yeah whether you want to have a baby or not like doing checks in your fertility, regular checks in your fertility. So looking at doing a semen analysis, looking at your testosterone levels, um, things like that is actually a great way to understand your current state of health. And I would agree with you that AMH, I don't think AMH is useful at all. It's only really mm. useful, I think, in the IVF context where they, they can then use that to decide what protocol you're going to be going to be using. But you can have a really low AMH and still have no problem conceiving naturally and a really high AMH, but have loads of issues conceiving naturally. I don't think it's very useful yeah. outside of that. And I also think if you've got a low AMH, sometimes you're hurried down the IVF route too soon before you're able to work in this diet and lifestyle optimization, optimization because you're scared. You're scared that your eggs yeah. are running out. Um, yeah. And it's egg quality. Egg quality is what I'm more interested in rather than AMH. Yeah, rather than quantity. Quality over quantity, as always. <laughs> exactly. So what sort of things, if you're, you know, someone listening to this podcast and you think, oh, actually, you know, maybe this is an area I really need to look at, um, you know, signs and symptoms that you might be thinking of relating to gut health that could give you a hint that perhaps there is work to be done? Yeah, I think this is where um, it gets interesting because because gut health has an effect on so many different areas of the body, 
you might be presenting as someone with acne or eczema. And even then I'd be saying, okay, we need to work on your gut microbiome because it plays such a big role in that. They often say the skin is a window to your gut. And I'm a firm believer Mm. in that. Um, So we we would definitely be, be looking at that. Again, anything, any signs of blood blood sugar dysregulation, I would definitely be wanting to optimize the gut as well. Any signs of inflammation in the body and inflammation plays a huge role in fertility. So we really want to be having natural inflammation levels, like healthy inflammation levels, not uh, excess inflammation. So again, we'll be looking at the gut for that sort of thing. And Tash, sorry, just to, to interject there, what would you classify as excess inflammation for, you know, what? what might people be experiencing? Yeah, so any of the skin issues are really common as uh, really common symptoms of inflammation. Again, things like headaches, uh, digestive inflammation is getting really bloated, really get bloated after foods, feeling, feeling loads of food intolerances, which aren't, you know, you don't have to cut out these foods forever. Really, sometimes it's about identifying these foods, removing them, working on gut health really building up that gut resilience, then reintroducing those foods as well. Mm. Um, And then also we do do things like testing. So we'll look at markers of inflammation in in our test results and just see if there's any sort of excess inflammation going on there. Mm. And what about sort of the neurological picture? Would that be a red flag for you as well? You know, someone presenting with really chronic anxiety or low mood depression, um, brain fog, that sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the gut and brain are always in communication with each other. And we often feel these things. So for example, when we're anxious, we might feel butterflies in our stomach. That's a classic sign of the gut-brain axis in action. But we didn't, we what we often don't think about is that it actually works in the other direction as well. So what's going on in the gut influences what's going on in your brain. And we see very different microbiomes between someone who is in a general good state of sort of mental health versus someone who is very stressed and anxious. And it's a bi-directional relationship. So the gut influences your stress levels, your stress levels influence the gut. So yeah, we need to attack it from all angles, basically. Mm. But one other, a couple of other signs of inflammation, I think that are important to mention. So in women, for example, endometriosis and PCOS, uh, those are those are there's so much research now linking those to the gut microbiome and also we see them so these conditions so often in clinic now yeah they're just getting more and more common and often undiagnosed and you have to refer back to the gp to ask for more tests because it takes quite a while to diagnose these things Mm. yeah i was thinking about endometriosis when you mentioned um earlier about the kind of specific microbes in our gut that metabolize estrogen and how crucial that is and how much that plays into that kind of um, endometriosis picture. Maybe let's talk about that briefly um, and then we can we can bring in PCOS. So someone with endometriosis, you know, do they need to be thinking, I'm really going to struggle here getting c- conceiving, I need to start working on this now or I need to see someone? Or is it not as bad as they think, perhaps? I think endometriosis is a quite a complex condition and also it presents itself quite differently uh, across everyone who's got it. So if there are lots of structural changes, um, again, it depends on how much scar tissue there is. And this is where we really, really need to re- rely on the medical side of things to, if there are any sort of obstructions or anything like that, we really need to rely on the medical side of things. But to, if it's if structurally there's not as much going on, for example, there's so much we can do on the diet and lifestyle side of things. And even though there are no, there's no 
as we understand, there are no known causes of endometriosis. When we look at it from a functional med- medicine perspective, there are lots of potential underlying root causes. The gut microbiome is always a good place to start, but also we'd be looking at things like, again, blood glucose management. We'd be looking at um, inflammation. Sometimes diets that we consider to be healthy can actually be quite bad for people with endometriosis. Sometimes with the histamine picture going on, they might have issues with things like avocados and dark chocolate. Mm. Um, the evidence around meat, for example, is a little bit mixed, but I do tend to see better results when people do have meat in the diet for endometriosis, uh, personally, in my clinic. Well, probably because if they're trying to get protein from plant-based sources and they've got that kind of gut-mediated estrogen dominance picture happening, then those foods are going to be inflammatory from the point of not being able to break them down properly and and causing issues that way, right? Yeah, exactly. And then there's a huge side of the endometriosis on the lifestyle side of things. So stress, movement, Mm. there's so much we can do in nutritional therapy to support endometriosis. And you can absolutely get pregnant naturally um, by working with a nutritional therapist if you've got endometriosis. It's definitely worth something, a path worth considering. And what about PCOS then? And obviously its role in fertility, but also the the, um, crossover with the gut microbiome. Mm. There, there are amazing studies on this. So many now linking the, linking PCOS with the with the gut microbiome, and again with PCOS, there's a huge inflammatory element to it. There's a huge hormonal imbalance element to this, and the gut plays such a significant role in that. And it, it's not the only part of the picture. We're always looking at um, what the underlying root causes are going to be for this particular person with PCOS, but the gut is always a part, would always be a part of my protocol, mostly because of the role in inflammation, in estrogen, in uh, nutrient extraction, in energy. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a very important part to look, to look at in PCOS. So would you would you be running a stool test with pretty much every client that you work with, whether they come from on the sort of fertility side or the the gut side? It depends if budget allows, because. I think there's still a lot of work we can do on the gut microbiome without seeing the test results necessarily. But it really depends on how that pick per, that person's actually presenting symptoms-wise. Mm. So I wouldn't always necessarily do it. And if budget is an issue, because all these tests can really rack up in costs. If budget is really an issue, I'd much rather prioritise some things like, for example, getting a sperm DNA fragmentation. Again, which can be expensive. But again, it completely depends on the individual, depends on the couple and what I think is going to be most relevant to them. So I don't always think it's necessarily the best path to go down. And there are so many Mm. things you can do which make a massive impact without even having to directly impact the gut microbiome, to directly target the gut microbiome necessarily. So for example, working on optimizing oral health, which influences the gut microbiome, working on the real basics of digestion. So things like slowing down around mealtimes, chewing your food properly, um, Mm. making sure they've got sufficient levels of stomach acid further up the digestive tract. So if there's ever anything going digestion wise, or even things that could be related to the gut microbiome, like um, PCOS, endometriosis, I always start at the top of the digestive tract and the top of the digestive tract. And actually I start before the digestive tract, the cephalic phase of digestion, where it's all kind of you know, the, what's going on in the mind before you start eating. And that's real slowing down around mealtimes and really enjoying your food. And then we work our way down the digestive tract and then we get to the gut microbiome. Because sometimes if you just focus on that and you ignore all the other pieces of the puzzle, then there's only so much you can do. Hmm. 
How do you think your clients feel, Tash, when they come to you and, you know, they really want to really wanting to get into the nitty gritty and, and conceive as soon as possible and, and get results in that area? And you say, let's look at your oral hygiene. You know, do you you're talking about teeth brushing and, and tongue scraping? <laughs> I know. I think they are a little bit taken aback. I mean, I think sometimes in the first session, in the first session, we're in the 10 minutes of the very first session and we're only just starting to talk about diet. And I think if they haven't read up about my approach beforehand, they might be a little bit taken aback, but hopefully, you know, they have done their research and we've discussed that in the discovery call. Because the things around, you know, just lifestyle, uh, oral hygiene, chewing, not mouth breathing. I actually think that mouth breathe that mouth breathing could be playing a really significant role in the rise in infertility and fertility issues. Yeah. So I always discuss that with my clients. You know, they're all mouth that I want them all to mouth tape at night. And I don't know if they actually do these things, but we this we do discuss them in the sessions and hopefully I do manage to convince them to do that. I think mouth breathing is one of those things that's so hard to convince people on. Um just, you know, talking from personal experience. Um, he literally hates me dropping him in it every time I do something worky. But my husband definitely mouth breathes at night. And um, I really think it's a, a factor in just, um, you know, him feeling quite tired often. <laughs> and it's, but it's, you know, for the, for, the, for the average person, it's how can you possibly be linking the way I take in air to my fertility outcome? It just... <laughs> It's kind of mind-boggling, but I couldn't agree more with you. And I too start with that cephalic phase, and I try and explain to people that 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 you know, if you think of the digestive system as a game of dominoes, if you don't flick over that first domino piece in a a nice controlled um, manner, and and it doesn't hit the other ones in the right way, then there's no way that the dominoes further down the chain are going to topple over properly. And that's kind of how we need to look at things. Exactly. Um, and again, it comes back to this idea of really trying very hard not to isolate systems within the body and to look at it as one whole piece. Um, so... Before we get on to, because I know you, as you just sort of alluded to there, you have a, a method and you have a sort of methodology as, as to how you approach fertility clients. Um, and you can talk us through that. But let's just briefly touch on, because I, I know I have mentioned it in other podcasts, but from in your opinion, Tash, and you just mentioned oral health, which I think is fascinating because that hasn't come up before. But what, why do you think we're all having such a problem with it? You know, what are the major obstacles that we are um, facing today with with oral health no with fertility in general <laughs> okay I was gonna say okay right good thing we clarified that I think the reason why so many people are struggling with their fertility now is because we live in an unnatural world we do not live in the same world we lived in thousands of years ago even hundreds of years ago even decades ago and our bodies have not evolved quickly enough to keep up with this significant change in environment. Because the whole point of evolution is that we evolve to, we adapt to better suit our environment. But what humans have done is constantly change our environments to make things easier mm. for ourselves, to make things more comfortable. So, you know, for example, 
we're sitting on chairs all day rather than sitting actively on the floor. We are, we've created chemicals to help us clean things quicker. We have um, created processed foods. We never have, we don't have to be scared of food shortages and we can get calories really easily. We don't have to hunt anymore. All these things, we've been making our lives more and more convenient. We're actually living in a more and more unnatural world. So fertility did used to be easy, but it's not easy any- anymore because even though it's meant to be the most natural thing in the world, we don't live in a natural world anymore. And that is what we're battling. So my whole approach is about mm. helping my clients get back to nature, get back to their body's intuition and what our bodies were designed to do. And so that's why mm. sometimes some of the things I say, I think might sound a little bit left field. So for example, go stand outside, put your feet in the grass and you'll get pregnant. <laughs> it's not that easy. But just, you know, spending as much time outside as possible. We spend uh, 90% of our time indoors these days. We spend most of our time sitting down. We're not moving regularly. Uh, we're eating convenient processed foods. We're eating loads of sugar because our bodies, uh, you know, if presented with sugar, uh, of course, we will take it from an evolutionary perspective. I mean, yeah, there's just so much going on mm-hmm. and not to mention all these toxins as well. So that's the whole part. That's the whole thing I try to do with my clients, like strip it back. What would nature do? And reconnect with all those um, historic principles, I guess. Yeah. And and that's why working with a nutritional therapist in this way takes time because you're not you're not just giving someone a quick fix. And I think you're so right in the sense that many of us are rushed straight away to assisted reproduction technologies, IVF or ICSI, whatever it may be, um, without being given the opportunity to optimize this and and to conceive naturally. I remember I was really, um, because I had IVF, um, because I had my fallopian tubes removed when I was younger. I have no idea why. It was just like they were randomly infected. It was really unlucky. But I remember when we went first to the clinic and they said, um, okay, so we'll do ICSI. And and I was like, well, why? So sorry, just to clarify for listeners, IVF is where you harvest eggs from the female partner, you take sperm from the male partner, and you put all of those eggs and all of that sperm together, and you let it do its thing. Whereas with ICSI, you extract one egg. Sorry, I sorry. With IVF, you take one egg and you let it be fertilised by all of the sperm in the sample. With ICSI, you take that one egg again, the one that looked the best, best quality or the best shape, whatever, and you select one sperm from the sample that the male partner gave, the one that has the best morphology, the best shape, the one that looks like it's swimming best in the right direction, etc. And you inject that sperm into the egg. And I think the reason they wanted us to go for ICSI is because the first semen sample that my husband did was below par because he'd just had COVID, interestingly. And as we know, anything that heats the body like a virus does, that you know ultimately heats the testes as well, is going to reduce sperm quality because the testicles hang outside the body for a reason. They're designed to be kept cool. Um, 
And they said, oh, we need to do ICSI then because the sperm quality is not good enough. And I said, no, no, no. You know, if I have to have IVF, which I, I've known I've had to for many years, I want to try and let the egg, because the egg will self-select the sperm that she wants. And I just think that's the most frigging cool thing ever. And I knew that it was a very unnatural process, but I wanted to try and go about it in the most natural way possible. And I said, no, I want to have IVF. Give us three months. We'll come back and I'll, I'll give you a stellar semen sample <laughs> because I knew that it was just that he'd had COVID and we went away, dosed up on loads of antioxidants, lots of zinc, all of the lifestyle things came back and it was absolutely fine and we had IVF. But they were saying, the clinic said that they pretty much just tell everybody to go for ICSI they, these days rather than IVF, um, even if they even if they don't really need to have ICSI. Um, and I think that just goes to show how fast we are and how quick we are to hop to med medical intervention wherever we can. And it's the same with when you give birth these days. You know, it's it's so much easier to have a C-section, a cesarean section than it was, than a natural birth than it was, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, and it's almost looked at as being safer for the mother now to, to give birth via C-section. And, um, you know... I digress, but you know, thinking about the baby, it's 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 way better for the baby to come out of the birth canal than it is the sunroof. The sunroof. I haven't heard that before. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's what I say. Because again, I it's so you know, I I look at my life and I think you know I'm this person that really puts forward this natural way of living, and it's so important to me. And I've done I did so much to optimize my health, and you know, sod it, I had to have IVF and I had to have a bloody C-section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the other the thing. There's you know, we'll try everything on the diet, lifestyle, environment side to really optimize fertility, but there's also a bit of an there's an unpredictability side of fertility as well. Mm. And whenever it's time for me and my partner to start trying, like who knows how successful we'll be and who knows what's gonna happen. We, we really don't know. I mean, we'll try everything. We will do the full mm protocol that I would want to do do all yeah. the testing and at least at least three months prep but we've got very healthy lifestyles anyway um but yeah we'll do the full thing that I want you know I would want all my dream clients to do but I have to agree yeah. with you Grace as well on the IVF um getting hurried down the IVF route side of things and I would say to anyone that has time on their sides and by time on their sides we're normally looking at the mother's age and I would actually say up until the age of around 38, I would say you've still got some time of your time on your sides to try naturally, even if it's like another three months or six months, six months maybe. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say, you know, IVF is so expensive. It is emotionally and physically very, very demanding for the woman, especially. And so I would actually invest in seeing a nutritional therapist and working with them for three months to really optimize diet, lifestyle, lifestyle environment. And mm -hmm. then, and then try naturally again, just try for a period of time. And then even if that's yeah. unsuccessful, at least you've done all the prep you need to do anyway to make um, IVF more successful to improve your IVF success out outcomes as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember when they harvested my eggs, they harvested 19 eggs and they were all blowing my own trumpet here, but they were all like 
triple A quality, which is how they rank nice. um, eggs. And they were like, you know, they just couldn't understand it. They were like, oh my goodness, you know, you've had so many eggs collected. They're amazing quality. These blastocysts are great. And, you know, I just like, I was quietly confident that they would be because I'd done everything right. And I'd really, really worked, you know, for six six months almost. Um, Nick and I had been, well, mainly me and, and then Nick more, closer to the time that he was going in to do his um, semen collection, but really worked hard on, you know, low toxin lifestyle, nutrient dense foods, you know, getting outside sunlight. It just, and it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't surprise me, which may sound super arrogant to some. And I, I apologize if anyone's listening to this, it's having trouble, but you know, it, it really works to optimize egg quality. Yeah. And I think that should actually be empowering. Um, that's an empowering piece of information because we're often told there's nothing we can do about it. And loads of the clinics mm. would say that too. And unfortunately, you know, the clinics are also trying to run a business. And I don't want to say that they're all trying to do this, but they will encourage you to go down the IVF route, you know, and say that mm. it's your best chance, for example. But I, I think this information should be empowering because there are things you can do to improve your air quality, to, re to reverse sperm DNA fragmentation. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that you, we know that it takes three months for egg and sperm to mature, which means your current lifestyle will be affecting your egg and sperm quality in three months time. Again, this should be, this, this hopefully should be empowering because, you know, it's putting fertility back in your hands. And sometimes people just feel so lost and feel like they've completely lost control of their fertility. But actually, you mm. can take back control of it. And that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Okay. So, Tash, before we finish, let's talk about you're sort of developing this, you're calling it the fertility 360 method. Mm. Um, Talk us through that, because I know you're about to launch it in the coming days. Um, so, and whether this podcast, this podcast should be going out just after the launch. So do tell us um, what it involves. Yeah, this is my unofficial launch party, this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, okay. So the Fertility 360 method. So I have been thinking about, you know, my approach to fertility, and I really wanted to just put a method behind it just to make it really simple for people to understand. And so it's the Fertility 360 method and it includes, includes nine steps which help you to get to nine months. So nine steps to nine months. But the reason I've been sitting on it for so long is because I couldn't decide what the nine steps were. I wanted to choose the most impactful ones, but actually, you know, there is a lot more complexity than this, these nine steps, but I think it's a really nice place to start. And it was really born out of, again, you know, as I say, wanting to go to go back to nature and back to how nature na nature intended and using all these principles to really optimize fertility. So I decided on the nine steps, maybe they'll change at some point, but uh, would you like me to take you through them? Yes. Great. Okay. So the first one is diet and digestion. So diet, of course, we want to make sure we are getting all the nutrients we need to support egg health, sperm health, and general overall health and fertility through our diets, because we can manufacture some nutrients ourselves, but largely we are relying on our diet to get lots of these things through our, through our diet. The most studied diet for fertility is the Mediterranean diet, but I have a few issues with the Mediterranean diet, to be honest. <laughs> the first mm, one, yes, I see you nodding. The first one is that, you know, I what even is the Mediterranean diet? Because when you look at it in different studies, it 
often looks different. The pyramid really changes. And most people in the Mediterranean don't even eat the Mediterranean diet. In fact, there's a huge problem with obesity in like Greece and areas like that. So um, there's quite a bit of confusion around that. And the second, my second problem with it is that many of the Mediterranean models use still use carbohydrates as a base. So these are starchy mm. carbohydrates, normally whole grains and things like that, but um, sometimes they don't even specify. And I think that's too much. I don't think our diet should be based off these um, carbohydrates and starches. I think they should be a part of the plate, but not the, the main base. And my, and my third issue with it is where they put red meat. So they put red meat in the same category as sweets. And I think anyone with mm-hmm. any common sense should be able to look at that and just say that is so that is wrong that is so wrong and i think the with the, the confusion around this is because and don't get me wrong the studies uh on the mediterranean diet for fertility are really positive so people going on the mediterranean diet will see an improvement in their fertility but i think the reason for that is because the mediterranean diet is largely unprocessed so of course it's always mm. an improvement 60 percent of the calories eaten in america from ultra processed foods I imagine it's relatively similar over here, maybe not as bad because our food isn't as you know processed as over there. But you know, it's mad. So of course, there was a, there was an Im- improvement with the Mediterranean diet, but actually, um, what we uh, what was I going to say? But we we're talking about um, red meat and and the fact that that it's it's being well still is being victimized and demonized, but it was in the same category as sweets on this Mediterranean food pyramid. Yes, exactly. So lots of the studies don't differentiate between normal, natural red meat and ultra processed meat, which is very different. And I'm a big advocate for having whole food sources of red meat, you know, before the processing, because when we look at the, some of the nutrients that are most important to fertility, so things like iron, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin A, um, B vitamins, they are in their most abundant form in animal foods, particularly offal, red meat, things like that. And you can barely get any, you can't get anywhere near your daily nutrient intakes from plant foods. So I'm a big fan of including the diet. Did I send you the video I saw the other day where they compared a placenta from a vegetarian mother and a placenta from a mother that ate grass-fed meat, seafood, um, and offal and raw milk. No, but I think I've seen it. I mean, obviously, it's not you know, it's not like it's not a med- it's not a, a double blind medical study, whatever. But oh my god, it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, just the health, and you could just you could just see it. You could just see the health of these two placentas was drastically different. Yeah. And as you say, specifically things like iron and zinc are really, really hard to come by on a plant-based diet in the form that the body likes the most and is most usable and most bioavailable to the body. Um, you know, we're not talking about the iron that you can get from spinach, for example. We're talking about the heme iron that you get from animal foods. And I've been thinking a lot about this recently too because I, I learnt really recently that I didn't know that at about six months of age of your baby, so when your baby is about six months, if you're breastfeeding, 
Although breast milk is still absolutely the best source of nutrition for your baby going forwards, at about six months, it becomes deficient in iron and zinc. It still contains iron and zinc, but nowhere near the amount that we need. And a baby at about six months needs more iron than an adult man mm. to, to grow properly. So when you start to wean your baby, um, i.e. include solid foods, I know that weaning in other parts of the world means wean them off breast milk but for some reason here in the UK we weaning means include solids when you start to in introduce solids it's so important to introduce really good sources of iron and zinc um, because they're going to be eating such tiny amounts at that age that the tiny amount that they do eat needs to be a hell of a hell of a lot of nutrient dense absolutely um, so, yeah, looking at those organ meats, looking at red meat, that sort of thing. Um, All good. And the amino acids from meat. Mm. So that's the other part, you know, uh, meat, all animal foods are complete sources of protein. You get very few plants, complete sources of protein. And to eat enough, to get enough amino acids from them, you need to eat loads. So you're going to be eating loads of calories. Not that I think calories are that important, but just sheer quantity yeah. of pulses, legumes, whole grains you'd have to eat. Yeah, and that's tough on the digestion anyway, right? Like it's so, you know, that much that much food is just so hard to digest. Just very briefly on digestion, we could have the optimal diets, but if you're not digesting the food properly, there's no point. So yeah, optimizing that side of things really important. Okay, number two is energy optimization. And we're looking at two different things here, really. The first one is blood sugar management, because it's really important for fertility. The, the role that insulin plays in regulating our other hormones or how it impacts our other hormones, but also even slightly elevated blood glucose levels can affect our fertility. Lots of studies showing this now and IVF outcomes. And the second part of that is mitochondrial support. Very important for fertility. So we need loads of cellular energy. Our mitochondria produce energy, ATP, and we need loads of cellular energy for fertility. We need loads of cellular energy to produce an egg, release an egg, for sperm to swim up towards the egg, to fuse with the egg, and then multiply into lots of different cells and make a baby. So much cellular energy is needed. In fact, the human egg contains 10 times more mitochondria than any other cell in the body. And mitochondria are also what helps sperm swim. So that is why they're so important. So everything we can do to really optimize the mitochondrial health as well. Mm -hmm. Number three? Number three is microbiome support. So we've covered that already, but it's not just the gut microbiome, it's the other microbiomes as well. So we've also so we've got microbiomes pretty much on every surface on and inside our body. So the eyes, the lungs, also the vaginal tract and in the semen as well. So yes. we really want to optimize those as well. Um, and what we do know is that they all our microbiomes do seem to communicate with each other and everything seems to come back to the gut. So by improving the gut microbiome, you can likely have a beneficial effect on all the other microbiomes mm. in the body as well. We see that with the skin, for example, but also vagina. Um, and there's loads of testing we can do now to really understand the health of the vaginal microbiome. And there's so much research showing how it impacts your fertility, um, rates of miscarriage, for example, and IVF outcomes. So a really important area to look at. Yeah. And we even have specific probiotics now that can target the vaginal microbiome, which is very cool. Um, and number, what would number four be? Number four is circadian health. Lovely. So 
getting your light environment right, getting those blue blockers on. Quite right. Not just for sleep, but for the optimum functioning of every single cell in the body. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really crucial one. And it's a it's just such an easy win, isn't it, for people to understand that, you know, light is our... It's, it's a food source for the body. It's so, so, so important. It helps, as you say, the mitochondria make cellular energy. Um, and we need cellular energy for every single process within the body, including fertility. Um, yeah. Yeah, and fantastic. This is, an, this is another one that comes up in the first consultation. And again, people are just like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm here to get pregnant, not to sit in the sun. But yeah. anyway... <laughs> Again, so impactful. It's amazing how these tiny things can make such a difference. And you can feel the benefits really quickly, just Mm. mentally. Um, But yeah, uh, the role it plays in our circadian health and how that impacts our fertility can't be underestimated as well. No, totally. And then number five is a really important one for fertility and it's stress, isn't it? Absolutely. The body's always looking for a safe time to make a baby. And unfortunately, this is another thing that's that we're facing in modern day life that we weren't necessarily facing hundreds of years ago. Um, and it's that we are faced with micro stresses all the time. We are chronically stressed. It's not just we're not just stressed these days to for our survival, to run away from danger, to find food, to find a mate. Now it is triggered all day, every day. Most people don't even realize they're chronically stressed, but um, pretty much everyone I see is. And there is testing we can do as well to actually see how stressed someone is. If they refuse to believe they're actually stressed, they say, okay, let's do a hair mineral analysis or something like that. We'll do that. We'll Mm. get it back and say, sorry, your body's saying you're very stressed. (laughs) So Mm. we really have to work on this. It needs to be a priority. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then what about number six? Number six is movement. And the reason I've said movement rather than exercise, so I think everyone knows exercise is good for them. But having said that, still very few people are exercising three or four times a week, which is what we need to do. But what we have forgotten about is movement. And Mm. we were not supposed to be sitting down all day. We were supposed to be moving regularly, sitting in active positions. So I really encourage my clients to set an alarm to move every 45 minutes if you can, if not more frequently. Uh, normally they can't really do it every, you know, uh, until sort of once an hour or something like that because of meetings and that kind of thing. But we need to be moving regularly, fidgeting, do some squats whilst the kettle's on and um, just incorporate more movement into your day. I've really lost that. It's not just about having three hour segments in your whole week for exercise. We need to be moving as much as possible during the day because it encourages blood flow. We need loads of blood flow to our genitals for reproduction, um, to the womb to grow a baby, and also for our lymph, our detoxification uh, to, to work properly. So yeah, it's so important. Shall I tell you why I just giggled then when you said do some squats while the kettle's boiling? Please. <laughs> because because um, there's somebody that both um, my friend... Uh, and I follow on Instagram, my friend and I both being mums, who is a real proponent of doing squats and movement and, you know, like, like as much as you can pack in while the kettle's boiling. Yeah. And now that we're both mothers, we see this and we're like, when the kettle's boiling, I am putting a load of washing on, um, hoovering up the food underneath the baby's high chair, checking on the baby, changing a nappy, Um maybe brushing my teeth because I haven't done that yet today and it's already 1pm. Um, and it, it wow. it's just, it makes us chuckle because 
life has changed so much. And actually, it's when you're trying to conceive and you're going through these nine steps and, you know, other things, it's it's actually a really amazing time to prioritize yourself and to give yourself that unadulterated love and care and attention. Because once you do conceive and that baby is with you, you will not have that again. And that's such a stark change and such a different reality and such a learning curve that you can no longer put yourself first um so in a way you know it's a tough process conceiving a baby but enjoy it make the most of it you know love yourself do all that self-care all those lovely things supposing it's your first baby because obviously if it's your second then you've already got one running around taking your time away but um yeah anyway just made me chuckle okay so we've still got numbers seven eight and nine to go yeah. So number seven is toxic exposure. So of course, smoking and alcohol fall under this. We don't need to talk much about that. But we're also ex- also exposed to hundreds of chemicals every single day. We've probably all seen that stat, which says that a woman puts 168 different chemicals on her body every day, mm-hmm. body and face every day. That's the only thing she actually puts on her body. What about the things that they're spraying around the house? What about the chemicals you're exposed to when you go outside and you're walking down the streets in London? Mm. Um, studies linking pollution to infertility uh you know those studies done in china where it's really polluted and showing how different it is um and the reason why we're interested in toxins is firstly because some of these toxins have endocrine disrupting abilities which means they have a hormone-like effect in the body and that can cause hormonal imbalances and impact fertility secondly we want to be reducing the load in the liver as much as possible our load is uh, our liver is always detoxifying you know but it's kind of like a human in the sense that the more work you give it the worse it's going to do at its job so you want to be reducing the amount of work it has to do especially because when you're pregnant the placenta not only feeds nutrients to the baby but it also becomes a detoxification pathway so you can pass toxins onto the baby too so the more we can try and reduce that toxic exposure in these three months prior to trying to conceive, preferably, the the better. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then you've got supplements and you've got mindset as numbers eight and nine. Tell us about those. Yeah, so supplements, I think, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the NHS guidelines on this. So they, they propose you take folic acid. That's what they recommend. We are a much more a fan of folate and more natural forms of folic acid. So folic acid is a synthetic form of the nutrient and the body has to go through so many different processes to convert folic acid into folate, which is the only form your body can actually use. Um, so, for example, you know, when I'm, when I'm speaking to clients, we want to be having something that contains folate instead of folic acid. But also the evidence shows that taking a multi-nutrient is much more effective than taking folic acid or, fo- folic acid or folate alone. Mm. So we'll be looking at the right uh, multivitamin for them. There's a huge difference in quality. We'll always be looking for the best quality ones for you. And depending on what you, you know, what your diet is like, what your absorption is like. So it has to be quite personalized. And on the mindset side of things, you know, the body's always listening to the mind. And I think this is where, this is one that's often forgotten, but the body's always listening to the mind. And it's amazing. I always ask my clients, do you think you actually can get pregnant? And it is remarkable, remarkable how many of them say no. Mm. And that's when we know there's work to be done. 
And something so simple as waking up in the morning, putting your arms above your head and just saying something like, whatever the mantra you choose, something like, I am fertile, I deserve to have a baby, whatever it is that resonates with you. You feel so silly to begin with, but mm-hmm. it really does work. And within weeks, they actually have changed their mindset. And yeah. that can be so impactful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and actually, I usually recommend my clients... Um, What's her name? Emma Cannon, who's a fertility acupuncturist, has a 90 days fertile online course and she sends you an email every day and it has meditations and things like that. And it's all about creating this fertile mindset um, where you really feel, yeah, where you really feel abundant and you really feel like you, you can conceive. And actually, that's something that I, I didn't use that when I was going through IVF. I had done it years prior, but it is something that I massively did I really felt like I was calling my baby to me I felt very positive about the whole process I felt you know some people don't like to think that it's going to work because they don't want to set themselves up for that failure and I get that but for me I just knew from the beginning I was like this is going to work I'm going to get pregnant it's going to work first time and I could see myself you know visualizing yourself as a mother and all of that it's it as you say the body is listening to the mind and it's can be incredibly powerful um so that's a really nice one to finish on um Okay, so Tash, I think we've gone through a lot there. Um, it's been quite a lengthy episode and a really nice juicy one, um, despite the fact that my computer has crashed twice whilst we've been talking and we've had to restart. Um, thank you so much for being a guest. Is there anything else you want to add? And also do let us know where we can find you and engage with you. I think two more things that didn't make it into my nine steps and just 12, 11 steps or 12 steps to nine months didn't sound as good. So um but number one is community and support and just having a group of people around you to really support you through what's quite what can be a really difficult time is really important and that includes the men um if there is a man involved in the partnership because Mm. it's so interesting seeing the couple's dynamics in in clinic every couple is so different and actually quite commonly what I see is that sometimes the men are dealing with the miscarriages worse than the women and they don't get the same support. So support is really important. And then the other thing is functional testing. So um, we'd use loads of functional testing and clinics to really try and figure out what those underlying root causes are for you. Very individual. And that can really, really help. The more more data we have, the better, of course. Um, But yeah, those are just two final things I'd add to, to the whole picture. Uh, where can you find me? So my Instagram is at NE Nutrition and my website is www.nenutrition.co.uk. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a guest, Tash, and being my first guest back post baby. I think this is going to be a great episode for everyone and I hope you guys love listening to it. Thank you so much. And I don't know how I usually finish podcast episodes. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Bye, Tash. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into State of Mind. I will try and release an episode very soon. If you have any requests for topics that I haven't already covered, do get in touch via Instagram DMs. I'm at Grace Kingswell and I will chat to you all very soon. Bye-bye.